This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Cramerica Industries, solving the world's energy problems, one big giant ball of oil at a time. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at This Thirsty. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. This podcast is making me thirsty. Join our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Seinfeld podcast. Bonus episodes up there. Our first 16 episodes are up there. All kinds of good stuff. Join now, folks. Go to our website, SeinfeldPodcast.com. Our rankings are there. All of our episodes are there. Lots of good stuff. Email us at this podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. If you dig it, please pass it on. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 146. Today's guest is an acclaimed writer, executive producer, and showrunner. He's the host of the popular podcast, The Stuff Dreams Are Made Of. He was a showrunner on HBO's award-winning series starring Julie Louise Dreyfus, Veep. He was a writer on Saturday Night Live from 1992 to 1995. He directed, wrote, and produced on Kirby Enthusiasm, and of course, he was a writer on Seinfeld for three seasons, season seven through nine, and is credited with writing nine Seinfeld episodes, including The Bizarro, Jerry, The Voice, The Pool Guy, and The Friars Club. Please welcome David Mandel. David, thank you for joining. Hey, thank you. Let's not talk about The Friars Club, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Well, Interesting. <laughs> Such uh, such an honor, David, to have you on the program. So- no, I appreciate it. I, I know you guys have asked. It's taken me a while, so I do appreciate yeah. your I, I appreciate your doggedness in convincing <laughs> me, or perhaps you've just run out of everybody else. But either way, I appreciate it. So thank you. No, writers are our favorite, so we're so glad to have you. So take us back. How does yeah. a how does a twenty five year old kid at a Horace Mann High School in Riverdale? end up on the on the set of Seinfeld um well I uh like I guess many Harsman kids I uh I ended up as they say attending an Ivy League college which in this case uh, was Harvard um and when I got to Harvard I got very quickly obsessed with the Harvard Lampoon which I sort of knew about because I was a comedy nerd. I mean, and and I, when I say I was a comedy nerd, not in any kind of I'm going to be a comedy writer. I just mean I loved comedy. I was obsessed with Saturday Night Live. I was obsessed with Letterman growing up in New York. Not that I went a lot, but I was I had gotten to go, which was, you know, a, you know, one other level of interaction. Um, but I, you know, I stayed up every night to watch Letterman. Um, I had my mom's old comedy albums. I had comedy albums. I sought comedy out at the various clubs in New York. So I, I was very into comedy movies and TV in general, but I was a real comedy nerd. And I, 
got when I got to Harvard uh, to Harvard, I, I was like, I want to join the Lampoon. And again, I'm not talking about like I'm going to be a comedy writer. There was none of that. It was just sort of this will be cool, and then I'll go off and I'll be, you know, a vaguely amusing lawyer or something of that nature. <laughs> right, um, right. And uh, and I, I I I went to Harvard, and and it's not why I went to Harvard, but I went to Harvard, and I joined the Lampoon, and very quickly. Once I was sort of there and I don't know, I don't know quite how to describe it, but just sort of all of a sudden you feel like you found your place in some way, like-minded individuals. Very quickly, it was apparent to me, I guess, not only that this exists, that there were people doing this. And again, growing up in New York and we had family, friends and stuff, you know, but no one I knew was a writer. I mean, I knew they existed. I did a lot of reading of books about, you know, screenwriters and stuff, but it just didn't seem like a a job job that like adults had. And all of a sudden, though, there were like graduates from a couple of years ago coming back to Lampoon. And it was like, oh, like I, I remember very specifically uh, Paul Sims, uh, who has gone on oh, yeah. did like Larry Sanders and uh, 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 now is doing uh, what we do in the shadows. Um, I remember he got hired at Letterman. He was at Spy Magazine and he got hired at Letterman. And it was just like and it was I, and at the time, I believe it was his dream job. And I just remember, holy shit somebody i vaguely know is working at letterman and I, I so very quickly it became sort of the possible so i guess that that's the, the start of it and then obviously you know you do have to be good i mean i hate to say it like that but you do have to be good and i, I think i was good and uh i i sort of uh i we you know the lampoon gave me opportunities in terms of doing projects and things and then i took advantage of those opportunities and um, when I gra- I basically graduated and went to work at Comedy Central doing a show called uh, we did a lampoon project called MTV Give Me Back My Life, which airs once in a blue moon at like four in the morning, which is a fake 10th anniversary uh TV celebration of MTV um, that was the first lampoon TV project. And then at that Working on that, I got to know some of the Comedy Central people. I got to know Al Franken, who was an advisor to Comedy Central at the time. And then the following summer, when I basically right before I graduated, I got the call. Another guy, Billy Kimball, who became a Veep writer later on, but was he was exec producing comedy coverage that Al was going to host called Indecision 92 of the uh, Democratic and Republican conventions that summer. And they hired me to be a writer. And so I worked with those guys all summer. We did this, you know, basically it was almost like, a, you know, it was all, I think it was live coverage of the convention each night. And at the end of that summer, at some point, um, Al basically said, I want to submit you to, 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 Lauren and to Jim and that got me that. And so that's, that's that to Saturday night live. And then from Saturday night live, as that was wrapping up later on to Seinfeld. So not exactly planned out, but here we all are. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's all, that's all our real house. You just talked about Miss Sims is news radio, right? I, I remember. Yes. News radio, which by the way, yeah. uh, a little known fact about me uh had a, I, I was about to take and actually i feel bad and i've always felt bad uh, i think paul was led to believe i was about to take the news radio job uh that he had was kind enough to offer me when i got seinfeld and oh, went wow. to seinfeld with no offense to news radio which i love 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 love, of course, love. Of course. and actually worked out well because someone a, a different friend of mine ended up taking that job and moving to la at about the same time which was great so all works out but oh, I, that that's, I was 
that close to working at news radio. I just fantastic show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you mentioned a lot there and I think we'll get to yeah, some sorry. of that. No, no, it's great. <laughs> Unpack I'm, anything you want. Yeah. As Chris mentioned, we love writers and I just love talking like writers tree type stuff like that. SNL Letterman connection always seems to go SNL Letterman Seinfeld and then where you guys end up and, and veep and, and all that, um, which we'll, we'll definitely get to. Um, but, but, you know, just, just on, on the Seinfeld aspect. So, um, you know, we were, we were kind of reviewing, a lot of your your episodes obviously before the show and um it's apparent um that you were a fan of the show before you got there right it's, yeah it's I, I i have my own sort of theory such as it is that really what i call sort of the second generation of seinfeld writers meaning yeah. obviously there's the show at first and then you get like larry charles and peter melman and the sort of the early writers um, and then sort of the, the, the next gen that came in. And even though there are people in between, obviously, but that's right. the next gen that came in, which is like Schaefer and Berg and then me. And then the, the people that kind of came, you know, after us, like Steve Korn and whatnot. We came in as people that recognized it as the genius show it was and that we were fans and again, I think you see it in some of what we did, which is there is, it, you know, yes, we start to break not exactly the third wall, but it gets a little meta in the sort of we were the ones studying the patterns and then began to make a little bit of jokes occasionally about the patterns. And I'm as guilty of that as anyone. And in some ways, whether it's a breaking the fourth wall or whatever wall it is joke, even something like the bizarro, there's a meta quality to it that obviously I think you have to be a fan. You can't just write it. If that makes any sense. No, it yeah. makes total sense. And it's noticeable. And it's interesting how you, how you phrased it actually. Um, Cause it's apparent, right? I mean, it's like you're writing, you're writing the world, um, as an outside, not an outsider, but as you said, as a fan, you got the world, you understood it, and now you're writing sort of in it. And right, but I spent, it. I probably Meta, spent more like time said. in some ways, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I probably obsessed on some of it in certain ways more than Larry and Jerry making it. Like I'm talking about the watching it, like right, right. like like assuming, like almost the way you like pour over a great novel that every every period, every comma, every pause had some other meaning that they probably didn't have when they did it someone just paused you know what i mean and so i was i'm not i, I don't know what the word is obsessive about the show I, mean, I really was a huge fan wednesday night was sacrosanct and then obviously eventually thursday night i was obsessed with it and and and, and like i said truly studied it. i'll tell you a funny story jason alexander hosted snl I think in my final year, but it might have been my second to last year. You like it, the we, juice. You like, like it, juice. Exactly. And we did the monologue, which I think I wrote for him, which was uh, him uh, as Peter Pan, where he gets stuck. That was his monologue because yeah. of his Broadway background. And I had tried to write a sketch, which we didn't do, and probably rightfully so, that was sort of called like something like the Seinfeld Zone. It was a Twilight Zone parody. But the idea was... It was like sort of some like, a, you know, an innocent man walks into a diner or whatever, but then kind of gets caught in the minutia obsession and the sort of the language. And it was it was very sort of like, again, making fun of Seinfeld. It wasn't a fully realized idea. But again, that level of that fan level of obsession that I think I I don't know, we all I think took to the show. So, yeah, that's my own little sort of. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised, yeah, I'm surprised when he. uh 
hosted and even Jerry in the early nineties, they didn't have any kind of like they do with uh, like, you know, Luke Perry. I know they sure, uh, sure. Well, it's harder to make a it's harder to make comedic fun of a comedy, if that makes any sense. It's hard to. Right. It's we. Yeah. We always talked about it's the same thing happened with like the commercial parodies when advertising got funnier. This is I'm talking about SNL commercial parodies. When advertising started to get funnier, it was harder to do commercial parodies because they were already kind of trying to not take themselves as seriously. But when you're actually you know, very heartfelt. And if you think back to like the Luke Perry thing, which I had nothing to do with, I was just a fan watching the show. It was all about taking the keys. Remember, it was everybody taking the keys so that they didn't drive, but it was just <laughs> keys after keys after keys. And it was really a joke about how this show, you know, deals with partying and all. Anyway, not, not the point of the story, but easier to make fun of a drama is, I guess, where I'm going with it. So, yeah, for sure. But every time you bring up commercials, the, the thing that pops in my head is bad idea jeans, which, uh, I don't which know. is a great one. Fantastic one. No, that was. No, so, my biggies. I got them over my big. Yeah, what's your My favorite. Red. Were you there for big? My favorite. No, that was Jack. I believe that's Jack Handy, which is incredible. The ones I did that I think people liked a lot. Uh, one that I don't know if people liked a lot, but I loved was that's not yogurt. That was like the first thing I ever did, yeah. which was just that the announcer just constantly sort of creeping you out by saying that's not yogurt. Um, uh, what else did I do? I did so, Nerf Crotch Bat, which people yeah. enjoyed uh, on a certain level. Uh, probably the one that people loved, loved, loved was uh, Crystal Gravy when everything was clear. Remember everybody? Yes. Remember that was a phase in products where there's Crystal Pepsi and everything was clear and whatever. It was uh, yeah. and Phil Hartman on that one. Yeah, that, Colon Blow too was a big one. Oh, that was hilarious too. The yeah, change yeah, yeah. with the bank. I mean, they can go on yep. and on with these. I mean. so, so another, uh, I'm assuming a friend of yours, uh, Andy Robin, was also working on SNL and he, he he told us a story that he actually handed a script to Adam Sandler of um, the junior mint that and eventually got to Jerry. And that's how he oh. got. You know, it's funny. I did not know that. It's funny. Andy was a little uh, a little a touch older than me. And it was funny. He had sort of been at SNL, but then was already gone by the time I got there and then uh. was at Seinfeld, then left Seinfeld. Then I started at Seinfeld, then came back to Seinfeld. So we always kind of it was a little of this in a weird way. But anyway, yes, we did eventually overlap. I did not know that that was the origins of the junior mint, which obviously is a great. Episode. Yeah. yeah. So uh, from your perspective, like I said, you're a young kid at this point. Was there a like in a standard interview you had with Jerry and Larry? Do you remember that? No, my process was very strange. And again, it's sort of one of those very funny things which happens, which is um, Jeff and Alec Schaefer and Berg, uh, my longtime friends and co-writers and whatnot. Not that we were writing together at the time, but we had written together and we were looking at each other's stuff. We were that level of friends. I was sending them my SNL scripts and whatever. And, um, and I was, you know, by the end of my third year at SNL, I was pretty miserable at SNL. They started at Seinfeld. Um, the fall of my third year of SNL. That was their first year at Seinfeld. And especially in the springtime when SNL used to be on a two show, two weeks off, two shows, two weeks off schedule. I was just leaving town and going to LA, but as a New Yorker. And so I didn't drive. I didn't have a driver's license and I would basically arrive. Jeff or Alec would pick me up at the airport. I'd go to their house. I'd stay with them and I would go to work with them every day. And so I would go to work at the Seinfeld office and I was sort of like the special guest lunch guy because I would sort of 
say hello in the morning, and then I would hide in their office, and I would help them. They were working on episodes, and I would help them if it was an outlining thing. If they were writing, I would make myself scarce, but I would help if they were outlining and stuff. And then it would be lunchtime, and I would have lunch with the staff and Jerry and Larry. And they were, it was funny, I told a lot of SNL stories because they had both, they had, Jerry had hosted, Larry had worked there and had not enjoyed it. Gamel and Pross had worked there. Um, Carol Leifer had worked there. Peter Melman, I had known his brother in New York City. We, I, I, I used to buy scripts from his brother. His brother always had great, a great collection of, uh, like just classic scripts, but like Xeroxes, original production Xeroxes. I used to buy scripts from him, which is a little bit of how I taught myself to write and stuff like that. So it was a funny thing where I kind of got to know the whole writing staff and even like the people working at the show just kind of hanging out for lack of a better word. And at the end of that year, the rumor was Larry came very close to leaving. He was going to quit the show. He was, his contract was up as I remember it. And he didn't want to stop. Who knows? I can't, I want to put words in his mouth, but he came close to leaving. And there was sort of a, a negotiation, I guess, of some sort. And I remember he showed up at the final episode of SNL that year, which I want to say is the Heather Locklear show. Not that anybody cares. And he was going to Europe. He had just resigned and he said basically, Hey, I just resigned. Send me some ideas. I believe if memory serves, he knew I was interested. I was already working on some ideas, which he didn't know. I believe he asked Jim Downey about me, longtime Saturday Night Live producer, because they okay. had overlapped back in the day when Larry was unhappy at SNL. Um, I Jim kind enough to say good words about me and all of that kind of stuff. And um and so Larry said, I'm coming back. Do you want to submit some stuff? I said, I'm working on some stuff. He said, I'll be back in, I don't I can't remember, two weeks or something like that, or three weeks where he was going off to Europe. He went off to Europe. The phone rang, like, I don't know, two or three weeks later. I, you know, and I had my ideas ready to go. And he called me up. I answered the phone and he more or less said, get here on Monday. You're hired. And I, I never actually submitted the ideas. And then wow. when we were actually working, I think on what was my first episode, I think it was this, the, 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 the movie phone idea, um, which is in the, which is in the pool guy, the seven, seven, seven film. Um, I, I remember him looking up at me at one point and saying to me in my office, um, because you'd basically, you'd put stuff on a board or you'd bring Larry and Jerry would come in or sometimes it was just one of them, but you'd grab them and basically like you'd get your story approved for the four characters. So you'd pitch them like I was thinking for George, this or this or this. Oh, I like that. And you'd kind of riff on that a bit. What about for Jerry this? And sometimes you got a bunch and sometimes it was like, okay, you've got a George, but you still need the, you know, so it was one in somewhere in there as I was pitching what I think was the 777 film idea, Larry looked up and said to me, like, was this on your idea list? And it was. And I said, yeah, it was. And he goes, yeah, I would have hired you anyway. So, uh, so th there you go. So a very strange, uh, a strange, uh, way of, uh, getting hired, but, uh, yes, there I was. So, yeah. Wow. wow. And you mentioned the pool guy, I guess we'll start there with season seven. I mean, w one of the great themes is, is the world's collide, right? Was that also one on your idealist list there? Because I will get credit where credit is due. The thematic, the world's colliding, the, the girlfriend 
Susan becoming friends with right, with, Elaine. with 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 Elaine and 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 basically and again, you know, as these things are, it was based on something real. Uh, so it was based on a, you know, sort of a, a friend's girlfriend and that sort of same sort of right. very similar situation. And it was sort of the same equivalent of her using our friend terminology and her sort of trying to get in on the private jokes. If that, you know, basically yeah, yeah, what yeah. you saw there. So that is that was the pitch. That was what they approved for Lane. They really liked it. Blah, 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 blah. However, and I'll be really clear about this, um, though, I, the, 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 the uh, George divided against himself, and I'm pretty sure the phrasing of worlds collide. That's all Larry and Jerry. That's because you would hand your script in and then they would kind of take a pass usually. And then that would go to table read. Later, you know, the other experience sometimes, which was great, was sometimes they would just take it to table to the table, read it which was a really fun experience. And then often then do a rewrite, but they always took a pass on it. And honestly, I can't, I, I can't remember if it went to the table or not first, but it doesn't matter. Right. It went through, it went through. And so I am more than happy and proud to say that the thing people remember most about it is what they said. So what they wrote. So yes, right. but the idea, the world's colliding concept, that was my pitch. So yes. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I noticed the theme in a lot of your episodes that have that sort of, um, I don't know if it's, I'm using the term worlds only because it kind of makes sure, sure. worlds collide, but I mean, you have Jerry and George kind of double dating in, in the Friars Club, right? Having that relationship. You have the, the pool guy versus Jerry. You have the bizarro world, obviously. There's, it's, it's, there's, there's sort of a theme a, yes, there that I There's noticed. a theme of, I guess, sort of you're in your comfort zone, which again, I, I, look, there was... There were many wonderful writers on Seinfeld. I, I obviously it was a killer writer staff. There were a large proportion of writers on the Seinfeld staff who were, you know, usually Jews from New York. And I, there's no other way of saying that, um, where I'll just simply say it's that sense of like, my group is my group and I will kill to defend them. And everybody else is trying to kill us. And I'm not saying that's a healthy attitude in life, but it's an attitude I understand and lived. And it's how I related to these characters. And they're very much, you know, like I, I think, and other people found other ways in, but the, the best stories are the stories that kind of came from your own reality. So, Yeah. Yeah, and, and little things we pick up. That's why we asked earlier. Um, you were a fan of the show. There's like little like odes to the show. Like George is getting upset, right? The bringing back the yes. third. Person. Yes. Um, and even with the the the, the, the Friars Club, um, wheels are in motion, right? Tying back to yeah. Babu, right? So th these were things you and wanted. Some to of that was going on at the show in general at that point, which was, I, I don't want to say it was just me. We were all, I think the show as the language of the show sort of permeated culture and everybody else was almost using and in some ways stealing these concepts as if they were their own. It, it was fun to find ways to sort of, you know, it, it, 
it made it all part of a whole, you know, to me in a really cool way. I mean, again, you want to talk about defining worlds. We are living in a world where people say wheels are in motion. I, you know what I mean? I know that's the easiest way I can express it, right. but that's part of it too, is that the, the entire earth sort of has a certain kind of Seinfeldian vocabulary. I know that sounds sort of weird, yeah. but I, that's what I no, love that's, about that's... the pocket universe again of, of the Seinfeld universe. And again, it's all just about, like I said, it's, it's like when you're sitting in your coffee shop at your table, it's like nothing else matters and there's just you four. But actually, if you think about that coffee shop, technically at every one of those tables is another sitcom. You may not want to see it, but every one of those tables there, the three or four people at that table are in their own show. We don't watch that show, but there's there's that version and actually the, there's an episode idea that i always had wanted to do that we never never really got to it was in that sort of like what if of the final season if you know there'd just been one more but the gist of it was like for lack of a better word jerry george elaine and kramer would have been at a coffee shop scene at the beginning of the episode and gotten up and left and you would have normally thought the scene was over but when they left like as you know george left it was the last guy or whatever basically um and again we didn't get very far with it but you'll understand the concept it's like i don't know like newman enters and then sits down and then you realize newman is sitting down with babu and uncle leo and i don't know you know what i mean and then the episode <laughs> would have been their four stories of which right. jerry george elaine and kramer might have popped in but they would have been minor characters in yeah. that episode that's so like sort simpsons of that thing. stuff almost I yes mean, a little bit a little yeah, bit of something I can see yes, that yes, almost yes, like yes, yes. simpsons where you just yeah. if the show went like you said another you know five or six seasons you would start doing that which would be i don't really know about cool. five or six but if right, it had been but, gone yeah. one more season yeah. i had two ideas i really wanted to do and that was one of them the, I, and I, that I loved and regret not doing in that final year. So, yeah, um, yeah. that's wild. And so um, you made it, you made a point earlier. We were kind of touched on a little bit with with, with Robin, but um, Andy Robin and, and Cavett. Yep. But, um, you know, we've talked to several writers, obviously, um, as you may or may not know. And we, we love talking to writers and just kind of, like you said, giving us kind of the backstory there. But um, you were there season seven, right? Larry's there. Yep. Larry leaves. You're also there yep. season eight, nine. Um, we, we're curious, you know, your take on on Larry's absence, right? We've heard, um, you know, yourself and, and Berg and, and Schaefer kind of helped Jerry in that role almost as that sort of go to slash head writers, if you will. I don't know, you know, quasi, if you call it that. Um, we've heard that sort of Melman sort of also sort of filled that role in maybe. 60 40 teams i don't know how, how, what was your your impression of that whole like larry's i mean look absence, it, it was right? it was obviously you know uh, obviously a lost presence for all the reasons you can think of and then you know 10 million other ones and obviously you know one of the advantages jerry had was while obviously he was doing a whole bunch of shit when larry was there there were those times where he could go and work on his stand-up and larry would you know finish up or those kinds of things i mean just in terms of thinking about it. so there's just a giant hole there that starts to just even if affect things even just on the, the the most surface of levels like the stand-up goes out the window because jerry just didn't feel like he could focus quite on the stand-up in the same way and that's where we start adding those initially those sort of free form conversation jokes that sort of like start the show which ultimately of course end up getting easily cut much like the stand-up i think for uh often for uh you know like standard reruns obviously right. now they're back 
And then as the shows get bigger and bigger and bigger, sometimes they go away as the stand-up did. And the first scene, obviously, is just because there, there was so much story. So number one, the stand-up goes away. Number two, while I wouldn't say we had a writer's room in the same sense of like like the way a lot of like network sitcoms do, we did begin to sort of like multiple people replace Larry. And so in, to some extent... Um, as a script was being worked on, it was usually being worked on by Jerry, the writer, some combination of me, Schaefer or Berg, and then, you know, one or two other people usually, and again, not, uh, different combinations and that sort of, you know, basically, you know, multiple people doing Larry's trying to do Larry's job. Right. And it does become different because rightly or wrongly, Larry's voice was always singular and we definitely, I think to our credit, the show is different. I think if we had tried to simply just do Larry, it would have been worse. Now, if people don't like it, that's a separate discussion to be had. Maybe people go, it was worse. So be it. But it's one of those things where when you do sort of take over for someone, even though Jerry was still there, keeping a lot of it the same, it does have to change because you you don't want to just make a bad carbon copy. It's sort of the same idea that I went into when I took over on Veep for Armando Iannucci, which is I'm doing the show, but I'm not going to try and write it like him. I'm, I'm, I'm here because I have certain values that we share together. Same with Larry, but we can't just do a Larry impression. Otherwise it will sound like a bad Larry impression. Um, and I actually thought we, I thought the first year was actually really strong. The second year to me, less strong. I think we got tired. I think we burned ourselves out a little bit. Um, that's my own take on things, but you know, you go back and watch that first season without Larry. People, people were still pretty into it. Not that people didn't like it that second season, but the second season was when the carping started a little bit more and jason yelled a lot and we wrote jason yelling a lot and those things are true i they are what they are i'm not i'm not fighting them whatever we were taking over for larry it became this you know we do 60 days in a row and take a day off and then do 37 days in a row and have thanksgiving weekend off and then we would do we you know we'd work over christmas break and then you know and then we'd like work about like 28 days in a row work the morning of the super bowl stop to watch the super bowl and then work the next day i mean it was all consuming and it was wonderful and you can do those things when you were young and that was that season eight and i think season nine maybe suffered a little bit for it you know what i mean and then I don't know. You get into stuff where, you know, it was this thing of like, you know, there were a lot of people and some people had higher titles than others and some people didn't and some people resented their, you know, and you, you get that sort of, you know, whatever familiarity breeds contempt. And that was true of any show and was true of the that sort of final year of Seinfeld. And so when he when Jerry made the decision to end it. I was disappointed, but not shocked, I guess, is the easiest way of putting it. Yeah, those are all incredible points. And listen, we're we've been critical of the the sure. lady, sure, and we, we kind of think of it kind of like it's still th th the best show on television. But there's kind of three the early years, right, with Tom Sharon is directing. Yep, Larry Charles left, and then we had a phase without 
just with Larry, and then Larry left. So it's kind of three different uh, kind of eras of the show. But I, but I do think you can break that final era, the Larryless era. I do think there is this I, again, my own personal thing. I think there's a big difference between eight and nine. And yeah. I think if if you and again, I, this is now now what am I arguing? I don't even know what the hell I'm arguing. <laughs> but when when eight was happening. People dug it. And then when nine sort of turned whatever, I think people then started going, well, yeah, and also it's been going on a while, but it hadn't been going on a while. I think that change, unfortunately, shows more in nine. Again, one man's opinion. Yeah, That's, I mean, it's interesting. Know, I yeah. actually prefer nine over eight, to be honest with you. Those really? are the okay. questions I was going to ask you, and you just Fair answered enough. it. Because yeah. Yeah. I, I thought nine sort of, especially the voice, to me, the voice. I, is I think there's really fun five. stuff. I, mean, I, love, the has, I love the voice. Yeah, yeah. the voice is everything that the early episodes had and that's a season nine episode to me it's one of the stronger like it could i think there are i think there are there are parts i just up. think there are episodes i don't know for me again in hindsight right well that's a good question that you know yeah. to, to ask you actually is and you mentioned this you you kind of touched on it but i'd love to dive a little bit is when you mentioned when jerry and larry kind of come around and you're throwing ideas at them i have a jerry story yeah. I, have a, I have a joy story right uh for you personally like where were you, where did you kind of start your thinking of these? Would you start with George? You start with Jerry? Do you have any type of thing like Ma, that? I am I am or? a I am a different George. Uh, so okay. yeah, everything for me is George. It's everything like that's where you're George. Starting. Well, that's yeah. just that's that's who I am in my life. Not right, right. perhaps quite you know the extremes and whatnot, but right. was, the the, gen, the yeah the general sort of you know feeling like. I don't know that everyone is a certain sense of the persecution and whatnot. And but anyway, that's me. So, yeah. yeah Robin and Cabot said the same. Uh, Melman said he preferred writing for uh, Elaine the most. That she but see, she is. But I think he's also being a little bit tricky, which is we basically kind of wrote Julia most of the time like she was George, which is, by the way, that is what makes Elaine such an incredible character is for the most yeah, part, <laughs> nobody ever like wrote her like you know, the girl or anything like that. We simply oftentimes came up with a George story and then gave it to Elaine. And therefore she was as what's the word as, as vile as she, any of them. Yes. That's a great point. That's yeah. Elaine. That's my character yes. analysis of Elaine. Elaine and George yes. are the same. They're both status driven. They're both Mel, always yes. trying to get ahead. They're all both trying to like, you know, uh, sort of lie in a way, but Elaine always want your bizarre, your bizarre Jerry is that, I mean, that's Elaine. No, she's, she's ready to go. She's and, ready to go. She's yeah, ready to go. She but obviously she is, she fits into society slightly better. Well, she tries uh, you know, to, yes. but it always, backfires. Well, but yes, it always backfires, but she's more accepted on the initial first glance. They, they are more welcoming of her um, because of, you know, just certain aspects of her. So, yeah, but, and again, that, but that being said, Peter, definitely, obviously, when you think of things like, uh, uh, like Spongeworthy, I, what I will say is obviously that is an incredibly, you know, unique sort of idea for a woman, you know, just that aspect of it. But what made it so was she was basically played it all the way George would, you know what I mean? I don't know how else, to, I don't mean the acting. I mean, the writing of it. It's a, if it's like, if George had sponges, that's how George, I don't, you know, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, difficult about it. It's just, that's how the writers often, you know, came up with those stories. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that that's interesting. It's like intertwined. I mean, we even heard Peter told us he would write, he would write a, a Jerry line, give it a, a Jerry story, give it a Kramer, and Kramer would just take it to a whole new level because he knew that Michael Richards could. And kind that of definitely do things that, changed. You know? And a lot yeah. of, I mean, the the beauty that's the beauty shade, of the show yeah. was things started usually one way and, and usually the reality of whatever the idea was, meaning whatever happened in your own life that inspired the idea was often the first scene or sometimes the first two or three scenes, if it was a bigger story, but then invariably, whether you were assigning it to the character you wanted to, or it ended up being somebody else, it was then the, where it went even before the act break. And then where it really went in the second act that really made Seinfeld what it was, because it was a show that if, if you watch the beginning scene and the end scene, more often than not, there was no great way of figuring out how the hell these guys got there, even though it all made sense. And, that was sort of the thing about the show as opposed to shows where they start off in the living room and by the end of the episode they're at the in the living room talking about the same crap you know who's going to take out the garbage or whatever so yeah yeah and uh bizarro jerry for my money i the the crackers the whole kramer uh jerry dynamic david i i love the um it's another, work. dare I say, it's another pattern in a, in some of my Seinfeld work um, and maybe some of my other work in general, which is the sort of uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The friendship as marriage, marriage as friendship in some ways. It's a uh, it's in there a couple of times. But yes, that was yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Friendship, friendship and loyalty are, are a big part of the show. So you mentioned, I mean, you seem to be, you know, um, a little critical sometimes of your own stuff. What's your what's your least favorite episode you wrote? Uh, the 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 oh boy, it's the Friars Club is not great. Uh, it's just not it's just not strong. That's one where I will simply say, I pitch things. I remember pitching things like to Larry and Jerry, and Larry got very excited about them. And I think he liked it more than I did, sort of almost like a be careful what you wish for. Like I was trying to find a story and pitched it. And there were parts of it I do still really like, but it got, I don't know, the the, the Friars Club and where it all went. I don't know. It just got very, I don't know. It just, the it got very jacket obsessive, which is a Larry Seinfeld area but it is not that is not a dave mandel overlap i guess is the easiest way so i I, it kind of got out of hand a little bit for me i like other parts of it at least what i can remember of it do you have schneider it's a good question i don't think i handpicked but i think i was happy about it at the time or as as i I remember it yeah from SNL, yeah, I, it may have. I think it came up, but obviously, um, you know, Mark Hirschfeld was always pretty incredible with that stuff, and so I think as we were thinking about stuff, I'm sure it was thrown in, but I couldn't tell you who did it. It's just too many years away. But no, it was not like it's got to be Rob Schneider. I wrote it for him or anything like that. Um, I did. I definitely remember definitively. I remembered the Flying Brothers Karamazov because I had seen them in New York and I had seen them in the movie The Jewel of the Nile, <laughs> and so they definitely became the music, the magician brothers or whatever. Uh, I can't remember what we called them in the show, but uh, I, I was responsible for that casting. Um, uh, and again, these things like that's um, forgive me when the, the Schneider story with the uh, 
Hey, Bobby. Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. The hearing aid. <laughs> that's based on a kid I went to high school with that wore a hearing aid that I, we always used to say, like, he uses it to his advantage that when a teacher called on him with no, when he didn't know the answer, he would fiddle with it until they got uncomfortable enough to go, Oh, that's okay. How about you? You know, David, what's the answer to the question that he clearly doesn't know? And so I love that story. And I love the end of that, of her picking it up, trying to find out whatever. And as jury rigged as it is, the door going off the alarm and the idea that it, and, and that physicality that she does when she grabs her ears and like throws her body back and down. I'll put that up against anything in any episode of Seinfeld. I just don't think the whole thing quite works. I'll just simply say, but it is not my least favorite. My least favorite would be the Susie, which also is the same basic problem, which is I, 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 it, and it haunts me to this day twice in my life in the, whatever it's been, what was that? 1997. Is that 97? So it's what it's been 25 years since the Susie. 97. Yeah. So 25 years on two different occasions in my life since then that I'm aware of, I have woken up in the morning out of a dream where I think I've figured out the Jerry story. And obviously, and then I'm like, no, I didn't. And it to this day, it the idea of somebody placing a bet that you didn't want placed and then people think you broke his thumbs and whatever. I know it sounds like it sounds like it should be a story. And it just isn't. And what's his name is great in it. Leah. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful having him back. The phony, that whole thing. Again, great character actor sells the F out of it. I don't know if I concur sells the F out of it. Um, Whatever. It does not work. It doesn't work. It's it's a bad story. And at the end of the day, the show is stories and my perspective on that at the time was I was putting great stories into other people's episodes and I was obsessing to make everybody's episode great and really work on it. And I just remember, I mean, I can remember at the time just feeling crazily bummed out that this wasn't working. And I, and I just felt like no one was, no one was helping me fix it. What can I tell you? These sort of strange memories you have of it. Yeah. Well, listen, you're a little, you're tough on yourself, but yeah, I mean, well, I think all the episodes were incredible, but so is that the missing P like, is that where Larry would, jump in and i mean i mean again we're we're you know again it's all hindsight like would larry right. have ever even approved those stories to begin with i we can't answer that question right. you know what i mean yeah um so i yeah that's a tough one because but again it, it, that was our job was to i mean again it, it was all very weird i you know i got it so long ago jeff and alec had like an exec producer credit I didn't have the credit, but I was constantly being brought in on stuff. I, I don't know what, I have no great answer. That was, as far as I was concerned, that was my job. And I did yeah. it. And I definitely think I helped a lot of other people's episodes. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I like, you know, again, like, uh, you know, I have, it sounds so silly. It's like I'm desperate to kind of go, no, no, I did a lot of good stuff. No, I just, I, 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 there are things in everybody's episode that I can go like, Oh, I know I put that in there and I just could not figure out how to make that betting story work. And it like, it drives me crazy to this day <laughs> that I, I just, I, I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. The <laughs> Susie part of the story. I like that. That was a real thing that actually happened to me, oddly enough, with the late Bob Saget at Saturday Night Live, which huh. was he just kept. No, it wasn't. It was a two parter. 
Bob Saget thought I reminded him of somebody. And so he was jokingly calling me by a name. But then there was a makeup guy who was this great Emmy winning makeup guy at SNL. And at some point or another, he called me by another name. I don't even remember what it was at the time. It was like Mike. And he called me Mike and I didn't correct him. And he called me Mike again. And I just let it go. And I was Mike. Um, You know, I don't know what else to say. So I think I like that story a lot. I love when, you know, Elaine is trapped in trying to be both Susie and Elaine at the same time. Look, again, in hindsight, I think the funeral and the quote unquote killing of Susie is a little it's a little broad when I look back on it. It was just it, 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 part of the broadness. And again, I, this is all hindsight is, I think, because it didn't have a good Jerry story to bump into that. You were sort of the Jerry story never quite gelled. So it didn't really affect other stories the way it needed to. And so the Susie story kind of solves itself and it gets very large in its anyway i don't know what to tell you yeah this is incredible insight (laughs) we really appreciate this dave i mean this is you're explaining i'm sorry i do i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate myself i hate every (laughs) word of it and one day i'll solve it i'll rewrite it (laughs) it's incredible too to hear you the way you describe like you know the the those years without Larry, it just seems like it was all hands on deck, right? You guys were it was, and by the way, that's why I should just talk about throwing stuff and it was out all and, and, hands on deck. And yeah, I think if we could have taken like three months off and then right. done the 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 the, the, the season nine, right? I think it could have been better, but we kind of just finished and practically like I think we took like a week off. Maybe there I mean, were the pressure there were a couple was probably weeks. building too. I mean, you got you know your number one show, and they you know some people watch. I don't know, it, you, you know, know, it's funny. I'm not sure we never felt like that. I know I was okay. ever like there's a lot of people watching it was just our own desire i don't know quite how to say this and it's something you know again it's something certainly i'm very proud of when i was working on that show and again you could ask this of the other writers i don't know if they would say it this way i had no doubt not because i worked there not it was nothing to do with me but as far as i was concerned it was the funniest show on television. And it was all I cared about was that it was week in, week out, the funniest fucking show on television. That's all I care about. That's all I've ever tried to do. But that was what I cared about, but also the satisfaction as far as I was concerned that it was. And again, I don't mean right. because I was there. Part of it was what they had created, these incredible characters, these actors and actresses that like elevated what we wrote week in, week out, always said it in a different way. But as far as I was concerned, best cast, funniest show, that was it. So right. that was sort of a self-pressure, I guess, of any sort. Yeah, sure. And speaking of best cast, best show, I mean, we'd be remiss we have you here. I mean, Veep to me, for my money, is is one of the best written and cast shows there is of all time. I mean, I appreciate that. So at the end of the day, so much of it yeah. was, you know, I, I I took it over. So again, so much of it, Armando and whatever, you know, my, right. I got to play in that sandbox and I got to add to characters and bring characters in, whatever. But an incredible you know, again, an incredible ensemble. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you, you have, you have your hands on Veep, you have your hands on curb, right? So, so that legacy is there. And, and to me, you know, I love those sort of those trees, if you will, as you brought up earlier, right? The starts at Harvard, the Letterman, the SNL into Seinfeld, and then you guys all branch out, right? Berg and Schaefer go on with their thing and, and you go yeah. on with your thing. Yeah. There's a couple, there's a couple, there's, a couple like, pockets, of, there's, right? yes, there's definitely a couple of trees and look, I think, you know, and again, 
I'm lucky to be a part of a couple of different trees. I think one of the trees is really the Larry David tree, which is Larry David taught me to write sitcoms. And I write my, and, I, and that's, and I don't, I'm not taking anything away from Jerry. Larry taught me to write sitcoms. That's, Larry is how I harvest ideas from my own life. Larry is how I think about sort of a show. Larry is how I, writes ideas down on a little piece of paper or now in my iPhone and how I outline a show and how in every, every scene keeps the stories moving. And it's what we did on curb. And it's what I certainly brought and tried to bring to veep. Um, and it's just, it's how I do it. And so that Larry David sitcom tree is, you know, that's a, that's a biggie. That's incredible. And I, you know, you're certainly, growing your own trees and leaves. And I know there's a lot of great, uh, you young try. Ones. I hope someone I hired goes off and creates something and gives me a job when I'm old. So yeah, I hope so. But yeah. yeah. Um, but, but you know, it is like, a, like I said, it's a way of thinking about it. And uh, you know, again, you could bring Jeff and Alec on, uh, you know, put me in a, you know, a, in a sound booth where they can't hear me and they will tell you the same thing. It's all about the stories. It's all about the outline. And when you are doing this outline, every scene has to be moving stories forward. If the scene is not moving the story forward, then it's not a scene. You have to figure out how to move these stories forward. And they would also say the same things, which is a location is not a story. A holiday is not a story. Uh, a story is a story. I mean, again, we, 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 we all drank the same Larry david kool-aid and that's how we learned to do it he yeah. taught us he was our mentor um he is a friend now but he i i, I you know I, I i will truly say this sorry and i, I don't mean to turn this into i, I didn't mean to turn this into a, a self-aggrandizing story but when we were when we won when i got to win the emmy for veep and it was handed to me by larry who happened to be um presenting that year not not you know because obviously he's larry david it had nothing to do with me um I, I don't quite know how to say it there was there was nothing better than being handed it by larry i mean i don't know what else to say i mean he truly you know i wouldn't have i wouldn't have couldn't have done any of that if i hadn't really learned how to do it from him so it's that simple. yeah and I, i'm sure you remember that phone call in 1995 yeah. he said pack your bags so that's a great story. I mean, learning from Larry uh, with the writing side, it sounds like Jerry's unselfishness, just all that together. And that's where you got the No, I mean, one. with Jerry, the other thing that people sort of forget about, obviously, with Jerry is, uh, and again, you know, people definitely have talked about the unselfishness with his willingness to sort of be... Again, not the straight man, but sometimes he is the, you know, sometimes Jason is the one with the really funny laugh or Kramer is the one with the huge laugh and Jerry gets his laugh reacting to what they're doing and his confidence and his willingness to be that guy is beyond huge. But on the writing side, what I certainly remember in those final two years was, and again, the Bizarro is a perfect example where, you know, Jerry was the one who pushed it further. You know, when Kevin, the idea that he was sort of the bizarro Jerry, if you will, Jerry was the one that was like, keep going. Do you know what I mean? And again, we ended up doing obviously a scene that I'm sure Larry would not have done, which was at the very end, the me so happy me want to cry. But and I don't mean that, but I mean the the like, what if when we go to Kevin's apartment, it is, I mean, again, he was the one just going, go for it. And that is his sense. He has a just an, a wonderful, incredible sense of humor and that willingness to sort of 
keep pushing it was just, I mean, again, another incredible lesson. And oddly enough, you know, again, not to go back to the Emmy, oddly enough, he was there that year. I think he had gotten nominated for uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And so when I got handed it by Larry and I'm sort of up there to sort of, you know, accept it, literally like, I think first row or second row, but like on the aisle, like literally like staring at me in a great way is Jerry's right there. I mean, it was anyway. So I, I quite, uh, quite whatever, you know, quite, uh, I owe them both a lot. Uh, and I am the first to, I'm first to say it. So, yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, it's great to know how appreciative you are. I mean, and how humble you are and how tough you are on yourself. It's incredible, but we, we can't thank you enough, man. I mean, thank from- you so much. No, um, I'll, I'll come back for 288. Okay, I'll I'll be back in 144 more episodes. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Thank David you so much, David. Thank you, so much. thank you guys. Incredible. Appreciate it. Thank you. 